0: Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Thank you, Dave. Kathy, Parker, Leanne. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. I don't think you realize how good we have it. I've told you that before. Love the music that we do here. Well, hey, uh, today we're starting a new series. And I'm just going to warn you a little bit. Pastor Tom might come out a little bit. Just going to say that. Normally I just go by Tom. But I'm feeling a little bit uh, like that might happen. This is really, I'm really excited for this uh, series. And we're diving into a book of the Bible called Galatians. Um, and here's the thing. When we, when we teach the Bible, I want you to know some of the things I'm thinking about and some of the goals that we have First of all, the premise that I'm working off of and that Carrie is working off is that the Bible is relevant to us just as much now as it was way back, okay? It is relevant for you today. And so when we teach... Uh, We're going to get as practical as possible and apply those truths, although they may look different because we're in a very different time, in a very different culture, with very different issues, okay? So it's important that we understand that because the Bible was written uh, um, not to us. It was not written to us, but it was written for us, okay? And so that's why we're going to open the Bible. In fact, I would actually encourage you, um, to bring your Bibles over the next four weeks so that you could walk this through with us. Now, if you don't have one, one easy thing that you can do is go to uh, your app store, whatever that might be, and you could download the Bible app. And that will put all of the books in the Bible in your pocket, in your phone. So we do that, and I want to make sure I push that out to you guys so that you know that. Because the Bible is real and it's relevant, and here's what it says it's actually a light to our path so that when things feel dark or you're not exactly sure where to go and what to do, the Bible kind of acts as an illumination for how we do that. And we might not get the whole thing, but we're at least going to get some steps as we start. The other thing that Bible teaching does for us is, uh, it says when we put it in our hearts, when we get it down deep inside... It actually prevents us from sin. Did you know that? The temptations, the desires, all the things that we might struggle with, when we're anchored in God's word, there's something different that changes, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in this series, but it's going to help protect you uh, in this life, and so uh, it's very, very important that we understand that and that we approach it from that angle. And so as we set up this series, I want to start, as I often do when we start going into the Bible, because I know that might sound scary uh, for some of you, or it might sound, I don't know anything about the Bible. I know there are people in here that don't know anything. This might be your first time in church. This might be your first time even opening the Bible. Here's the other problem with the Bible. It's taught so many times in such a way that's just boring, okay? And we are doing it a disservice, because like I said, I think there's so much to take from it. Um, And so I want to make sure I give you the big overview of what's going on so that it doesn't have to feel scary to you. So this is how we're going to do it. I actually have a slide that outlines, and you've seen this before if you've been here, um, the Old and the New Testament. I realize it's very hard to read. I get it. I'm going to help you through it, though, okay? Okay. So the Bible is actually a collection, it's not one book, it's actually a collection of 66 different books, all put together, and it's divided up kind of right down the middle into what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? In the Old Testament, where we see on this side, there are 39 books that you'll find if you open the Old Testament. Then when you get to the New Testament, there are 27 different books, And those, that 27 and that 39 make up what we know as the Bible. Now, when we get to, we're going to talk a little bit about the Old Testament, even though we're talking about a book over here, it's under this letters book, you can see down, the fourth one down is called Galatians, again, I know it's hard to read, Uh, but let me step back for a second. When we get to the New Testament, actually no, when we get to the, when we look at the Old Testament, it's primarily telling us and teaching us about what group of people, does anybody know? I'm I'm hearing this. The Jewish people, yeah. Israel. It's actually the beginning, we see, of all the nations being formed, you know, it starts with the creation of the world, and then we see people dividing out into nations, but it primarily follows the story of the Jewish people, Israel. And they were promised a Messiah, a deliverer, something that was going to change all the traditions and customs that they knew. And so now enter the New Testament, and then we have the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And primarily, what do those books talk about? The life of Jesus, yes. All right, so if, again, if this is all new to you, just follow with me. We have the Old Testament. It starts with the creation of the world, the formation of you know all the different countries and whatever, but following mainly the Jewish people, and then we get to the New Testament, and then this is the part of the Bible where we start to read about Jesus. He came into the world as a baby. We celebrate that at Christmas. He dies And he rose again. That's why we celebrate Easter, right? And so that is basically how the New Testament is written out. And then we get to a book called Acts. And Acts is a really, really interesting book here. Because this is where we start seeing a movement begin to form. It's what we know now as the church. Back in the day, as this, start, as this thing was starting to gain momentum, it was called the way. And so what we have here is people who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, interacted with Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Now he dies, and he rises again. He appears to several of these people, and these are mainly the people, we call them the apostles, that go out and begin to start these churches, which were like little house churches. And the book of Acts tells us they get together in these small groups. They eat together. They serve together. They help the poor and the needy. They worship God. They sing. or Whatever they do is a part of that. There's not really a prescription for how we're supposed to do church, but this is a little bit of an idea of what we see in the book of Acts, okay? And so now we see this movement begin to grow. But we come into a problem because the people that still believed in the old way, not the new way, that were tied to um, tradition and law, the people that were leading that movement started to have some real issues. And in fact, they were getting downright mad because everything that they had been taught, everything that they had known, Jesus toppled that, and the apostles started teaching something completely different. And now there's this tension in the church. So there's this one story that we find, um, one of these men who was responsible for helping grow the church, his name was Stephen. And Stephen gets up in Acts chapter 7, and he starts talking this message, he just got open air, he just starts, he just starts saying how it was an old way, and you could read this for yourself, in fact you should, Acts chapter 7, you could start there, there was an old way, but now there's a new way, and we find this in what we call the Messiah, Jesus. And as the crowd is listening to him, he knew exactly who was in that crowd. And it was a lot of these leaders in, in, uh, of, the, of these sects who, who really wanted to fo- keep following the tradition and the law. And it started to make them mad because he was trampling kind of on everything that they knew. And they got so angry that the Bible tells us that they took him, they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And I, I see this like a movie playing out because towards the end of Acts chapter 7, it introduces us to someone very important. And so just think of this angry mob. They're pick, pulling out this uh, speaker, and they stone him to death, and deep in the shadows in a doorway, I picture this guy, and his name is Saul, who we'll later know as Paul. And he stands there watching. Listen to what it says. Acts chapter 7, verse 57 and 58. They rushed at him. This is the crowd with Stephen. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Clearly, this guy had some power. Clearly, this guy had some influence. Clearly, he was the leader. Maybe he gave the order. He was the up and coming big shot. The leader of the ones who wanted nothing to do with this new group of the way. So then, in a couple chapters later, Acts chapter 9, we read this, starting in verse 1, and I have it on the screen. You could follow along with your Bibles. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so he went to the high priest. And he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, something really wacky and crazy happens. A light from heaven shines down around him. Now just picture yourself if this happened to you, okay? He falls to the ground and he hears this audible voice. He says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is this? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And their voice replied, I am Jesus. I'm going to stop here for just one second. It's very impactful to me, and I hope it is for you, that God himself appeared to one of the worst of the worst. Not, it just, not even like no like indifference toward God, anti-God. And yet Jesus appears to him, striking to me. Verse 15, the Lord said, go. He's talking to another person at this point who's supposed to help him. He goes, go, because Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message, this new way, to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the rest of the people of Israel. And again, you could read the rest of the story on its own, but here's one of the things, and this is very important as you understand where we're about to go in this series. Because all the leaders of the law, the rabbis, and again, these particular sect of Jewish people, they believed that their religion was only for Jewish people. They did not like the fact that the Gentiles, kind of a generic word for everyone else, was invited in by these apostles that Jesus made a way for people outside the children of Israel. Verse 22, as I finish this up, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the promised one, the one who was going to change everything, the one who did change everything. And then verse 31, the church then had peace throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and it became stronger and stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it grew. Something powerful was happening. A movement was happening. Now, again, get a little historical and pastoral on you here. We believe, best we can tell, is this light that shines on Paul, this experience happened in about A.D. 33, okay? For those of you who like to track with the details, that happened about A.D. 33, roughly, give or take. We see him about 12 years later, maybe A.D. 45 or so, he goes out with some buddies and begins to take this good news, this message, into the world, this is what we is commonly known as his first missionary trip, his first missionary journey. You guys with me so far? So again, this movement is starting to spread. Paul takes his buddies. They go out. They begin to spread this news throughout all you know, that region for like the first time, right? And all these little churches are beginning to start all over the place. Now, the book we're going to look at Uh, was written around A.D. 49. So again, if you're tracking with me, about four or five years after he goes on his journey and starts these churches, he has to write them a letter about four or five years later. And by the way, he dies around A.D. 65, just for context. Now, Galatians, then, is the very first book written by Paul. It's the very first one, at least that we believe, is written by Paul. It's written about A.D. 48, 49, like I said, and I want to show you, go back to that map, I think that was maybe up here before, so this here, this whole area right here, you see the Mediterranean Sea there, this is modern-day Turkey, okay, modern-day Turkey, but you can see these key cities that we're talking about, um, Antioch, Iconium, Derby, Lystra, uh, that's basically the area of the world that we're talking about, Okay. Now, Galatians has been called the book by which every other one of Paul's book is measured. And by the way, Paul wrote about half of that New Testament. About half of those 27 books he wrote. At least we believe he did. And it says, uh, a lot of scholars have said, this is the book by which every other one is measured. Martin Luther, have you guys heard of him? He once said this, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle to which I have wedded myself. It is my wife. Kind of a weird thing to say. But clearly, if you take nothing else from that, here's um, what you need to take. It was something going on with this book. It's very important. And very important to the movement we now know as the Reformation because it actually changed the way Martin Luther thought about the gospel. So it's very significant. So, your question is logically, what is going on? What is so different about this book? I'm glad you asked. The tenor and tone of this book is very different from any other book he writes. He's amped up, he's actually a little bit mad. Because something is going on that is tearing him up, and he says, I cannot believe this is happening. Read what we say in Galatians chapter 1, verses six, verse 6 says this. He says, I'm shocked. Now, the word there could be marveled, or I'm astonished. I cannot believe this. You're turning away so soon from God. It's just been a couple years. He called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a way that pretends to be the good news. You're following a way that pretends to be the gospel. So we need to unpack this a little bit because clearly Paul says the gospel is under attack. It's under attack. And so he's got an edge, if you read this book, different from like Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, which we've already gone through, by the way. And it's very gentle and loving and restorative. He's kind of calling some things out here. Now, here's the interesting thing. The gospel is under attack, but it's not from people outside the church. Now, we're aware that the church has been persecuted And especially in that day, but again, narrow didn't come until several years later. There's some kind of attack going on inside the church. The very essence of the gospel is being attacked from people within the church. Now, isn't that interesting? And dare I say, I'm not so sure much has changed 2,000 years later. And I know that's a bold statement but I'm not so sure. I think I feel the same way about the church now. In fact, I think that there tends to be more working of the enemy within the church than from outside the church. Now you say, well, Tom, you're being a little bit dramatic here. And plus, I'm uncomfortable with the enemy or the devil or Satan and all that. I hear you. But I don't think I'm being overdramatic. Because this is, what, this is what Jesus says about the enemy, the devil. Listen to this. John 8, 44, it says this. You're the children of your father. This is Jesus himself saying, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. Literally, everything about him, he cannot do anything else but lie to you and to me. He's a master manipulator. He's the king of deceit. Here's the thing. Lies don't look like lies. Right? They're usually wrapped up in their Sunday best. If we, I mean, we, if we could just pick them out of the crowd, we'd be like, no, I'm away from that. It doesn't look like that. Because the devil, our enemy, is much, much uh, bigger than we give him credit for. These lies are dressed up going to church with you. They sound really wise and smart. And it even might sound religious. And this is why I think the church is just as much under attack today. And Paul was saying, I need to say something. I need to say something. I need to go back and say something. Because the churches he started and the people he loved were being pulled away from the true gospel of Jesus. And trust me, it's the same message we need to hear today. So as we work our way through Galatians chapter 1 today, I'm here now in verse 8 and 9. And by the way, this is, again, we're pastor time. I have so many slides today. I'm reading tons of verses. This is not always what I do, but it's really important that we get this set up as we work through this. So I get to verse 8. It says, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven. Interesting phrase who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And I'll say it again, because I've said it before. If anyone preaches any other gospel, any other good news than the one you welcomed several years ago, let that person be cursed. That's not very loving language, Paul. So what is the gospel of Jesus? Why were people being deceived? What had they turned it into? And for the next few minutes, I want to talk about that. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus, and maybe that's a new term for you, but if you've been in church at all, you've probably heard this. It just again, Gospel means good news. When you think about the good news or the gospel of Jesus, what do you think of? Well, let me tell you what the gospel is not. I want to start here, okay? Here's what the gospel is not, according to what I believe the Bible teaches. Number one, the gospel is not reasonable or logical. Verse 11, this is what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, family, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preached is not based on mere human reasoning. For all of you who really struggle With that, I'm just going to say the work of the gospel is something beyond your comprehension. And that's what gets a lot of people hung up. Trying to figure it out. So the gospel is not reasonable or logical. Number two, the gospel is not religion. Now what do you mean by religion, Tom? Well, let me just read these verses first. Verse 13, Paul says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion how I violently persecuted God's church, I did my best to destroy it. And I was far ahead of all my fellow Jewish leaders and whatever in my zeal for the tradition of my ancestors. In other words, the gospel is not about a set of laws and do's and don'ts. He goes, if it was about that, then I, you know, I have, I'm head and shoulders above the rest. And he talks about that in other parts of the Bible, too. He goes, but it's not religion. And you're falling into this, oh, churches of Galatia. And number three, the gospel is not exclusive. Again, I've, this is why I think it was so important to set it up. By the way, this you could see as you go through some of Paul's writings. You, so you go through like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you follow along with Acts all the way, and there's that parallel piece that's going with that. And you could see some of the stories behind the stories. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, God has no favorites. And instead, they saw that God had given me, this is Paul, the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. In other words, yes, this is for the Jewish people, but it's also for everyone. And let me just say to you, Hope Church, the gospel is for you and for your family and for your friends. There is no one outside the reach of God's good news. So what is the gospel then? We looked at what it's not. What is the gospel? First thing. Personal revelation. Verse 15, Paul says, Even before I was born, God chose me and he called me by his marvelous grace. And it pleased him to reveal. He's showing me something. He's pulling back something that used to blind me. Okay, He goes, to reveal to me that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentile. Before I was born, God knew and he wants to reveal himself to you personally. Number 2, what else is the gospel is? It's personal relationship. Again, contrast this with religion, okay? That's what I want you to hear. It's not religion, it's relationship. Check this out. Verse he goes back to I'm going back to verse 4. They wanted to enslave us, all these Jewish people who said you have to keep all these laws and do all these rituals. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow all the Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And what is the gospel message for you? Well, I'm gonna go right back to Jesus. Is that okay? John chapter 15, he says, I don't call you slaves anymore because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, you are my friends. And I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. God wants a relationship with you. So, the gospel is personal revelation, it's personal relationship. And finally, I would say this the gospel is God's work alone. Verse 4, Paul says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as the Father had planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Interesting use of the word rescue Because people in real danger need to be rescued. They can't do it themselves, right? And so that's what leads us to this verse, Titus 3, 5, and 6. He saved us, not because of the righteousness that we had done, all the good works, all the good things, all the things we think we needed, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Do you see that, people? It is God's work alone not by works of righteousness which we have done according to his mercy by the way this was the revelation of the reformation and this is what martin luther attached to so uh, diligently it is not about what you do 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 here's what the gospel is let me simplify it for all of us today the gospel of jesus is jesus the very thought that we can add something to it, that you have to follow all of these rules and laws and regulations that they used to have to follow, the thought that we could add something to to it was preposterous enough for Paul to be compelled to write this book to these churches that he loved and that he helped start. The very thought that people were saved by the grace of God only and then fell back into the system of I have to help God by doing all these things was simply preposterous. And I'm going to say the same thing to all of us today because we are so tempted to say you got to do this and you got to do this. And if we don't say it, we think it. I've been around church my whole life my whole life and there are strands and forms of this all the way through we say we believe in the grace alone but what about this but what about this so here's my question to you what are you trying to add to your faith be honest with yourself what are you trying to add? What are the things that you've brought upon yourself that enslave you to the idea that you need to gain more right standing with God? Let me, say, let me ask another question. This one's harder. Because this one's going to get to the heart of some of you guys who've been walking with Jesus maybe for a long time. What do you think other people need to do in order to be cleaned up good enough or be right enough in order to be saved by the good news of Jesus? Yep. Because it's this. If it's anything other than the simple belief in the finished work of Jesus, you don't believe the gospel of Jesus. Pure and simple. Stop trying to earn by doing. You can't prove anything else to God when he, the whole point of him going to the cross was that it is finished. You don't have to be enslaved anymore. You don't have to keep trying anymore. You need to believe by faith and it's his work by grace in your heart. That's the true gospel of Jesus. In other words, Jesus plus anything else doesn't add up to much but jesus plus nothing is everything and that's why paul was so fired up i'm shocked you forgot it we need to get back on course in church i'm going to say to you the same thing we need to stop whatever your lies you're telling yourself are from the enemy because jesus says it's Jesus, only Jesus. And that's the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I've heard your word, your gospel, your good news pretty much my entire life. And yet I still struggle with thinking I have to do something else other than believe or be something else other than believe. And yet you said to trust in you, believe in the finished work, receive God's Holy Spirit, which then transforms us and it leads to different thinking. It leads to different action. But it starts with understanding what the gospel is not and what it is. I pray for this church that you would give us an understanding. I pray for every person in this room that you would give them a deeper understanding that the light bulb would go off (laughs) that the light would be like, boom, just like it was for Saul. And that from this day forward, we would trust you and you alone, not anything good that we can do. There's nothing we can add to what you've done. And just super quick, in this moment, right here in this moment, everybody hopefully is just kind of bowing and staying in this moment. Maybe close your eyes, I don't know. But I want you to be honest with yourself today. All of us, be honest with yourself today. And you say, Have I been trying to strive and do, do, do? Do I just need to give it up this morning? I go back to that experience I think about in the Bible where Paul was talking to somebody. And he, this guy says, what do I need to do to be saved? He goes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, if you want to do that today, I'm giving you the opportunity right now in this moment. No one's looking, no one's watching. I'm not even, I'm not looking up. I'm not. If you have any kind of words like this, you want to pray them with me in your heart. God, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that on my own, without you, I'd be lost. But God, when I believe in the finished work, of what you did on the cross, that you rose again three days later, and it's by your mercy that you saved me, God, I call out to you And I ask you to come into my heart and save me, save me from myself, save me from my sin. Thank you for putting a new heart within me. It is not the old anymore, that's what the Bible says, the old passes away. Everything when you become a Christian becomes new. I would just encourage you if you said something like that and you may have to wrestle through it a little bit maybe even today I, I would love to know that because I would love to give you some next steps and some helps along the way so you could email us email me tngala at cthope.com use our guest connection card I'd also encourage you before you leave today you can go out to our guest central area we're going to have people back there we have this book that it says how to, this is how you start This is how I start to follow you if you made that decision. So, God, I lift up this church as we go through this series, God, and we lay this foundation, and we do not let the lies of the enemy infiltrate what you want to do in our hearts. In Jesus' name.